Hi everyone, this is Logan Brasher. I am the pastor of music and creative arts at First Baptist Gray, as well as the producer for our weekly podcasts and videos. Our pastor, Randy Darnell, was out on vacation this week, and so this week a special treat is in store for you as you hear from our brand new pastor of students and missions, Austin Usry. Austin is a recent graduate of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary and came on board as the pastor of students and missions at First Baptist in January of 2020. He'll be preaching today from John 3, 1 through 18 with a sermon entitled, What is the Gospel? Let's tune in and listen to what Austin has to say from God's Word. Thank you. Well, good morning. I'm really happy to be with y'all today. Um, I believe I've met most of you. Uh, but if we haven't met, my name is Austin Estri. And if you're visiting, my name is Austin Estri. Um, I'm the pastor of students and missions here at First Baptist, and I'm filling in for Pastor Randy, who's on vacation. So if you're expecting Pastor Randy, too bad. Uh, but while I'm up here and have the church kind of in front of me, I want to say how thankful I am for all of you. Um, I'm new here. I just moved here. I want to say thank you for how kind and welcoming you've all been to me and my family. Um, and let's see. A lot has changed since last time I was up here, um, last time I was preaching with you. I had not been voted on or hired yet, uh, and I also was not extremely sick like last time. Um, full disclosure, last time I preached, I actually had fallen out in Pastor Randy's office uh, 15 minutes before I came out here, so I didn't do that today. Uh, but I also still lived in New Orleans and had not finished school and was also not yet married. Um, and within the last three months, all of those things have changed, and I am now one of the pastors here at First Baptist, so I am happy to be here. And I say all of that to say thank you from my family to yours, and um, it's a good day. So obviously, Laura Lee, my wife, and Mama Lynn are here, but also my family are here, uh, my, my mom, my dad, my brother, and my sister-in-law. So it's a good day. Um, but I just wanted to let you know how grateful I am for all of you and how kind you've been in my transition to Gray. So before we jump in, though, to this text, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever slowly began to understand something, like in a, in a school subject like history or science or math or anything like that? Uh, I know for me, the only thing that I slowly understood about math was that I am bad at it. Um, <laughs> what about movies? Some movies have really good twists. Uh, you're trying to figure out the ending before they comes to the ending. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan had a really good twist in a movie. He was kind of the master of twist endings for a while. Uh, some of his movies were duds. They just weren't that good. But one of them was like almost cultural for a time. Uh, how many of you have seen The Sixth Sense? Which, yeah, and if you haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil it for you, which I'm sorry, but you've had 20 years to see it. Um, the guy was dead the whole time, and he's like, I see dead people, and that guy he told it to was dead the entire time. Um, but if you slowly started to figure out something that should have been plain from the start, full confession, when I first moved here, <laughs> I, I thought the courthouse was the Methodist church until on my first day in the office, we marched in the MLK Day Parade and we're marching towards the courthouse and I was like, oh wow, the Methodists are like really politically active. Like just didn't dawn on me that that was the courthouse. Uh, and we were walking up to it, I was like, Oh, this isn't the Methodist church, is it? Nope, I'm an idiot. Um, but, but anyways, that's, uh, that's kind of where we find ourselves this morning. Uh, we're in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. And so 
let me set the stage here a bit. John is the author of this book. And this gospel is the only gospel to be written by an actual disciple of Jesus. The other three gospels uh, were written by disciples of disciples, but none of them followed Jesus around. They went and kind of collected the stories and wrote them all down, their firsthand accounts and all that. But John was there. He knew Jesus personally. And also, this gospel is different in style from the first three. Uh, The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are often called the synoptic gospels. And I'm not going to quiz you on that, but it's just a good thing to know. But basically, if they were social media sites, the first three would be Facebook. Whole lot of narrative, uh, no word limit. Uh, Especially Luke, he's very detailed. But John would be kind of like the Twitter. Um, It's fairly short blurbs about the life of Christ. And the next thing that we need to know about John is that it was written later than the other Gospels. And there was good reason for that. At the time that John was writing his Gospel, there were some new ideas coming out about who Jesus was. And some of these ideas were they were trying to take away his divinity. And they would say that he was just a man who had become divine. Or he was the man who God spoke through. Or he was just a good moral teacher. And if we aren't careful, if we don't fully understand who Christ is, we can fall into those same faulty lines of thinking. And so I say all of that to say that John saw what was going on and kind of decided to set the record straight because he was there. John is writing to convince people that Jesus is God and that the Messiah that has been prophesied in the Old Testament was who he was. John's purpose in writing this book is to tell people who Jesus is and what the gospel is. And that's kind of the question we're going to try to answer here this morning is, what is the gospel? And if you ask a bunch of people, you'll get a bunch of different answers. But the short answer is that Jesus, Jesus is the gospel. And so we're going to look at some of that more in detail. We're going to look at see what makes Jesus the gospel. And so in order to do that, we need to start with a guy named Nicodemus. So John 3, verse 1, but pray with me before we walk through this text. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for you. Thank you for all that you do. You are mighty and you are merciful. Lord, go before us in this text and make a way. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Speak, Lord, for your servants are indeed listening. Amen. All right, so Nicodemus, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, uh, please open with me to John 3. And I'm going to stop a lot along the way, so just get ready to start, kind of stop and go. It's like learning how to drive a stick shift the first time. But verses 1, let's read it. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. All right, I'm going to stop right there. So, who is this Nicodemus guy? Well, Nicodemus, as it says right there, is a Pharisee who is also a ruler of the Jews. So that kind of tells us some things. First, the thing that it tells us is that this guy is an important guy, and this guy is a smart guy. I know normally the Pharisees have this bad rap and pretty much deserve every bit of it. Um, They're kind of usually the villain in the New Testament, I guess. Uh, But Nicodemus here is not the villain. No, he isn't trying to trip Jesus up or, you know, try to get under his skin or whatever, but we, see that Nicod- we just need to see that Nicodemus is a smart guy. The Pharisees, they were smart people. 
They were the educated people of the day. Um, they had literally memorized the entire Old Testament, word for word. Uh, I can't even say I did that. Um, but they weren't dumb. They might be blind to the truth, but they weren't dumb. So we have Nicodemus coming to Jesus, but not just coming to him. He's coming to him at night. And that should also tell us something. He doesn't want to be seen by a bunch of people. Probably had on his, you know, black cloak, hood up, AirPods in, walking around, like, oh, looking at me. Oh, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but he didn't want to see anyone to see him. Uh, he's hoping no one sees him. And why? Why is he being so secretive? Why is he shuffling through the streets, hoping no one sees him, sees him going to see Jesus? It's because he's going to see Jesus. Uh, the Pharisees have been kind of getting this word about this Jesus guy. And they're kind of hearing the things he does and kind of seeing some of the things he does. They don't like him. They're not fans. Um, they probably would have done some things to Nicodemus had he been caught going there. He could have lost some of his titles, some of his influence. Or worse, he could have been stoned for blasphemy. Because Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. He was claiming to be God. Uh, which would have been blasphemy had it not been true. Uh, but we know better. We know that Christ is God. But Nicodemus, he's not sure yet, but he's curious. He's a smart guy, and he knows he's going to risk his life for this curiosity. He knows that if Jesus is who he says he is, this is going to change his world. So Nicodemus risks it anyways. Nicodemus gets to Jesus, and they kind of have this conversation we see here. So let's keep reading, kind of the end of verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, and for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? All right. I'm going to stop there. First off, Nicodemus gives Jesus some credit. He calls him rabbi. That kind of acknowledges the fact that he is different. At the very minimum, Nicodemus sees Jesus as someone from God. And then Jesus, because he is God and knows what's going on in Nicodemus' mind, kind of replies in this strange way. And at first read, uh, that doesn't really match what Nicodemus said. Uh, it'd be like if we were watching The, the Lion King. And you're like, hey, Austin, uh, what did you think when they started singing Circle of Life? And I turned to you and I was like, yeah, you're going to die one day. That's it. And like, oh, all right, that's kind of weird, man. Uh, but in a sense, that's kind of what's going on here. Like, Nicodemus has seen what Jesus has done and was wanting to know what's going on. He wants to know if Jesus is the Messiah. But really, the question he should have asked was, how do I become a part of the coming kingdom? So Jesus answers him by saying, truly, truly, and listen up, that is an important phrase. You want to pay attention to whatever is said directly after the words truly, truly. Anything repeated in the New Testament and the Old Testament is worth remembering. So what Jesus is saying is, hey, this is real important. I'm going to answer the question that you should have asked. You have to be born again to see the kingdom of God. So that kind of said into Nicodemus. He probably sat there and thought about it. And in his reply, 
uh, we see that he doesn't truly understand still yet. Nicodemus is probably like, I, I'm not, not following you, man. I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. And that's pretty much what he says in his reply. He basically asks, how does that work? Can I go back in the womb and come back out again? And then Jesus tries to explain this. And he makes it a little clearer. So let's keep reading. Verses 5 through 8. Let's see. Verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, which is born of flesh, and the flesh, of, and the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Okay, so basically, we see that truly, truly again, which is basically Jesus saying, all right, listen closer now, Nick. Jesus repeats himself and tries to explain it to him more. And then in verse seven, Jesus says, do not marvel at this that I say to you. And that's code for, it's not that hard. You are a smart guy, Nicodemus. You have to be born again. You have to be given new life. And so we see that Nicodemus' reply again, that he's just still not getting it. Look with me in verse nine. Let's see. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus kind of like probably looked at him and almost replied in like a almost condescending way. And so what he says is, Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And so he asked him, are you not a teacher of Israel? This would be like if you went hunting with one of your buddies and as the sun is coming up, you kind of whisper to your buddy, hey man, the sun's coming up. It's really pretty, you should look at it. And he looks at it and he's like, no, I, I, don't, I don't see it, man, it's not there. And you're like, You'd be like, what's wrong with you? You don't see the sun coming up. Like, how do you not see that? And that's kind of exactly what's going on here in this conversation. Because Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and he's been looking his whole life for the Messiah. And he's missing it. And so Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you must be transformed by the Messiah, by Christ, by God. You must be given new life. So Jesus tells him he is making this as clear as he can. If he told him any more about the coming kingdom... Nicodemus would probably go crazy. So he tells Nicodemus these things. And we don't have any kind of reply from Nicodemus anymore. But I imagine his face still looked perplexed. Because Jesus ends verse 16, I mean verse 13. And, and this is where I imagine Nicodemus would have kind of given them that confused look of, still not getting it, man. And so Jesus adds to, adds to what he has already said. And kind of gives us the most famous verse of all time. So read with me in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. 
but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So here we have two instances of what is going on in verses 14 and 15 and then verse 16. And verses 14 through 15 is a throwback all the way to Numbers 21. And I'm not going to make you flip there or anything, but the long story short is that the people of God had sinned against God, which no surprise there. Uh, So the Lord sent snakes. And they bit a bunch of people, and a bunch of people died. And so Moses was told by God to put a snake on a pole, which probably looked like a cross. If you've ever seen what the medicine symbol looks like, it's a snake on a pole. And whoever looked at that snake, the the snake on the pole, they looked at it, they lived. And so Jesus is saying, just like Moses and the serpents, those who look at me when I am lifted will have a life that is everlasting. And so this brings us to verse 16, which is probably the most famous verse in all of the Bible. Everyone can quote this one. So let's do that really quick. Let's all say John 3.16 together. So one, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I memorized mine in the King James, and that's the only time I'll probably use the King James. But uh, see, we all kind of know that one. We've all memorized that one. We've all seen it at football games. There's the guy, John 316. Uh, we all know that one. Uh, but have you ever really thought what is being said in that verse? And kind of when I was preparing this sermon, I started to look at what was really being conveyed in verse 16. And if you're kind of getting to know me, I know I'm still kind of new here, um, but I can be kind of a nerd. And I got really into the nerd side of this verse. So what I did was I looked at the original languages of the verse, which the original language is Greek. I looked at kind of what the words meant to the people that this book was first written. And so I did all that to really bring out the ideas that Jesus is saying here. Uh, I wanted to retranslate it kind of in a way that we would hear it differently than the way we've always just memorized it and kind of just spat it off really, you know, just like not even thinking about it. Because we gloss over this passage. We don't really think about what's being said here. I wanted to show what Jesus was trying to say because this right here is the gospel. So if we're trying to see how Jesus is the gospel, if we're trying to answer the question, what is the gospel? We need to look right here. Jesus tells how he is the gospel. So here's kind of the translation that I, that I did of it, which would be, God chose to love the world. And because of this, he gave his only son to die. In doing so, all who place their trust in him will not be done away with and destroyed, but will have a life which is everlasting and belongs to the age to come. But Jesus wasn't done there. He gave us verses 17 and 18. So I'm going to read more with them. So, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so those verses right there really kind of drive home the point that Jesus was trying to make in verse 16. So if you didn't get it in verse 16, I'm going to explain a little more in verse 17 and 18. Jesus is the solution to the problem. Our problem was sin. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He came to save it. The world was already condemned. We did that on our own. When Adam brought sin into the world, 
We were condemned already. That's what verse 18 is saying. That's what Jesus is trying to say to Nicodemus. Humanity is sinful. You were given the law to show you how sinful you really are, which is why you had to make these sacrifices. But no more. No more. Jesus is going to make the ultimate sacrifice, the last sacrifice. And so you may be sitting there and think, why does this matter? Why go through these verses and try to look at kind of this conversation and see what's really going on here? Well, in one sense or another, we are all kind of Nicodemus. We may be very secretive about our faith. We may not want our friends to know that we have this faith or our family to know that we are followers of Christ. We may be trying to come to Jesus in the dark, not letting anyone know we are following him. Or we could be truly curious about Jesus, but we had not made him Lord yet. Nicodemus, at this time in the story, was not a follower of Christ. Nicodemus was a good person by all accounts. He kept a very moral life. He was an upright citizen. He loved his country. He knew a lot about the scriptures. But Nicodemus had not yet made Christ Lord. He had not submitted his life over to the rule of the Lord. And so Jesus is not calling us to be just morally upright people. He's not calling us to keep the rules just for keeping the rules' sake. Jesus is calling us to submit our lives to his lordship and abandon everything else in the pursuit of his likeness. He's calling us to follow him. And so what happened to Nicodemus? Well, not a whole lot else is known about his life, but we do know a little bit. Nicodemus does show back up a few chapters later in the book of John. When Jesus is being arrested and falsely accused by the Pharisees, he says that, he tells, Nicodemus tells the Pharisees that what they're doing is, one, illegal, and two, very wrong. And the next time that we see Nicodemus after that is after Jesus' death. Nicodemus is the person who helps Joseph of Arimathea actually bury Jesus' body after the crucifixion. And so by that account, we can say that Nicodemus did finally come to see that Jesus is king. He saw Jesus as God. He saw Jesus as Savior. He saw Jesus as the gospel. The good news is, what happened to Nicodemus can also happen to you. Nicodemus followed Christ. He understood finally what it meant to be born again. He submitted to the lordship of Christ. So if we're trying to answer what the que- this question of what is the gospel, we need to look at the life of Jesus. The gospel means good news. So what is the good news? What, what is the gospel? Well, first, we are broken people, and we live in a broken and fallen world. But every now and again, we can kind of see glimpses of beauty in God's design, and we can see how God created the world, but we are kind of left wanting because of our brokenness. We can't fully see his beauty and fully be there. We keep trying to escape our brokenness by giving our lives purpose or by indulging deeper into our sin. We feel a need for something greater, but there's nothing that we can do on our own to fill that need. And that need is a restoration with God, the king of the universe. And so all of that does kind of sound like bad news. And it would be bad news if I stopped there. It'd be very bad news. But the good news that there is gospel, 
there is good news. So the gospel is, in your brokenness and in your sin, the God of the universe stepped off his throne and wrapped himself in flesh and lived the life that you couldn't have lived but took your place on the cross. Jesus, the king of the universe, died in your place, took the judgment that you should have received and died the death that you should have died. He was buried and rose from the grave, defeating death, defeating sin, and restored our place as sons and daughters of the king. And so the gospel is hope. The gospel is the hope that we have in the life of Christ Jesus. So if you want to receive Jesus as the gospel, ask him to save you. Believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, and be transformed away from your sin. If you're wanting this salvation, as Nicodemus wanted this salvation, ask someone, ask someone who you know, who trust, or ask me, or ask one of the pastors here, how you would go about doing that, and let us know. And as we go to sing this next song here in a few minutes, pray. If you haven't given your life to Christ, give your life to Christ. Ask him to save you. We would love nothing more than have another brother or sister in Christ this morning. Become born again. Join the kingdom of God. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for you. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your word. And allow us to see what you want us to see in your word. Thank you for being with us this morning. And thank you for allowing us to come and worship you. Lord, speak through us through this song. If there's anyone in here who has not submitted their life to you, uh, save them. And as those who are believers, show them how they can draw closer to you. Lord, be with us as we sing this last song. And as we go from here, remind us that we did not come to church today, but that we are the church. And so that when we leave here, we go and be the church. So we pray these things in your name so that we know you hear us. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single message. For more information about First Baptist Gray, visit us online at fbcgray.org. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus and give Jesus away.